ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek, 5 foot 11, 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous, 5 foot 11, 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got. You can get it ground, you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own. They've got all of the options. Uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think they express post everything, so hopefully quickly. Perfect. Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sheridan, Baby Cry in the Background, not included. Oh my god, the fucking metronome is on. That is the dumbest function in the history of the world. Yeah. <laughs> the garage band auto sets up with a metronome playing. I used to hate when my piano teacher put the metronome on. Just an, I don't know, ADHD thing. I've got several little ticks that set me off and like constant noise that you're looking for is one of them and it would drive me absolutely insane. Have you seen um, Mike Tashira do pause squats to a metronome? Yes. <laughs> I, I tried that once. I was like, this is dumb. Right, this is too hard. Two seconds is way too long. <laughs> it would be, it, it's, it's even worse when you set the metronome like for music with a counter uh, uh, based on bars. So I was like... Ding! Nah. It's like a ding every bar. Oh, God. The worst. <laughs> Getting PTSD. Uh, uh, that's great. Mm. Excellent. What's happening are. in Burleyland? Uh, I think our last novice comp for the year, the first half of it just sold out, uh, which is cool. Nice. Uh, so, because we're limited to about 90 people inside uh, at the moment based on the like one per four square meter rule. Yes. Uh, so the like canberra cup which is the week before we've got 33 lift lifters and then we're opening like a bench only push pull flight i'm gonna sort of do them as two separate comps basically because if we if we have 45 people in here then no one's really allowed to bring a coach or anything like that it's like lifters only so we're mm -hmm. sort of keeping the numbers down a little bit so that we can still have people bring a coach or whatever uh and for the novice comp we'll do something similar but um 
we're obviously not limited to 15 people in a flight uh, like we are in GPC. So uh, we'll sort of put like 16 or 17 into a flight. Yep. End up with like a morning session that'll be about 38 or 40 lifters and then we'll look at opening a um, an afternoon session, you know. Potentially if we get another 20 or 30 spots, then we'd be in a position to run like two groups of mm. 35 or something like that. So that'll be cool. It's yeah, nice right. to see people back on the platform and um and and kicking ass like that. We had uh, ladies of lifting last week, which was awesome, uh, and, and was a great day. And it's always fun to see. I think it's it's always a, a little bit more fun to see uh, novice lifters on the platform. Like I think mm-hmm. the uh, for me at least, the atmosphere of a, a novice comp where there's a whole bunch of people who are clearly shooting themselves with nerves, uh, getting on the platform and doing things they didn't think they could do before is really mm-hmm. cool. Like I, I always love watching serious lifters lift big weights, but um, there's something very wholesome about novice competitors stepping up for the first time and giving it a crack that uh, mm. yeah, it always makes for a fun day. For sure. Um, yeah, really cool. So yeah, man, we still don't have a front door. Uh, I don't <laughs> think we're... I'd, at this point, I'm not convinced we're going to have a front door before Christmas because um, it's you know it's nearly November, which means it's nearly December, which means it's nearly at the point where people are like, ah, fuck it, I'll do it in January. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that's yeah. just annoying. Well, I've I've genuinely forgotten what it's like to have a front door. I'm so <laughs> used to just parking my car right near the back gate and coming in the back door that I've just yeah. forgotten about it. People still like we've opened the roller door a couple of times at the front. And people have still walked out the back because they're just like, they're like, oh yeah, shit, I forgot. They get halfway across, like halfway up the driveway and go, oh yeah, I could have just walked the short way out the front door. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Oh, that's so annoying. I um, I got rear-ended at the start of September and uh, it's taken taken me, I just got my car back last, uh, a week ago. Uh, no, I got it this week. I got my car back on Monday. Uh, yeah, so, right. So like the, the process of, arranging with the lady who rear-ended me the insurance and then getting it in and getting a high car and everything took it's taken yeah almost two oh, months man it's so painful uh, and I but s- uh, yeah i swear my car has come back more damaged than it went in there's a whole Great. bunch of extra scratches on the back and i was standing there and i'm like i can't actually because re- i have any photos because i'm an idiot i can't actually remember if these scratches were there before or after the repairs at this point i'm so over it i don't care anymore yeah yeah just wear that and deal with it later yeah yeah Yeah, what else is happening up north my friend oh not a great deal just working away toiling away how's your uh equipped training treating you (laughs) as good as equipped training can be can't you see how fucked up my face is right now (laughs) Yeah, I love the uh, the. I used to get like a reverse uh, ski goggle tan, where I'd like <laughs> burst all the blood vessels like this, so it'd look like I'd been wearing red goggles. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was for, fun. For a while there, I had like a little bit of a dry skin sort of rash thing from my CPAP, the humidity not being right. And when I was doing yeah. equip, that would all explode around that, so it'd just be look like I'd been face fucked by an alien. Now, <laughs> now I've just got like this little crop here and on my cheek yeah. and. Just weird things i used to up. get them all through my chest as well like uh, all the way across mm. the top of my chest all the capillaries capillaries would burst yeah i haven't had my eyes go yet no we had a guy do that uh medina's now husband uh, ed did it at i think it was 2015 nationals mm. uh like on his third deadlift and he is a flaming redhead <laughs> so who then had like <laughs> 
super bloodshot red eyes for like two and a half weeks or something, maybe even three weeks. It was crazy. Looked like the devil. Yeah, basically. And, you know, works in like construction or something and just had to go to work every day explaining why his eyes were still bloodshot. Yeah, people would have been like, man, you look so tired and be like, yeah, I just haven't had my prism coffee this morning. Oh, that's so (laughs) (laughs) All right, you know the drill, people. Prism Coffee Co. Peak Speak 10% off. It's Um, the way to do it. We're sponsored. This is what we do now. Yeah, yeah. I was having that discussion with a guy, uh, Alex, who owns uh, a cold brew company in Canberra called Bellerophon. Uh, Bellerophon, I think that's how you pronounce it. And he makes cold brew, like commercially produces cold brew with Mm. the Prism Boys coffees. Oh, nice. Uh, And... um, I was about to blast you for for shouting out another coffee company, but then... (laughs) No, no, no. You're you're finished. He, yeah, yeah, he he does the thing that they uh, that they don't do, and they work obviously work together because they're all mates. Yeah. Like they're all guys who've worked together in the Canberra coffee industry for a while. So uh, yeah, Alex makes um, nitro cold brew and is about to do another run of uh, it in tinnies, which was excellent last mm. summer or the summer before. Where yeah, it's like a milligram of caffeine per milliliter uh so you get oh, like geez. a 200 you get like a 250 mil uh nitro cold brew and you'll be wired for a while yeah wow well, 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 well. but yeah i haven't actually tasted his new <coughs> run of the ta- of the i think he's using the taxi blend mm-hmm. but i'm not sure uh but yeah i'm excited to try that now that it's warming up mm. you know what else is exciting what's that thomas 100 peak speak episodes 100 actual episodes amazing yeah Nearly, nearly four years we worked it out at since we yeah. first recorded those that first batch of episodes. It's probably more like three years since we actually started because it took us the best part of twelve months to release those episodes. <laughs> yes, yeah. The, the back in the old days where we recorded on a, a DSLR that only could record twenty minutes at a time <laughs> to get up every twenty minutes and reset the camera. Yeah, which we did for like four hours in your kitchen after. Uh, was it Queensland States? It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. And then for the first 10 episodes where we were still doing videos, you could always hear my audio go click. Yeah. Then a collective sigh. Yeah, I don't miss that, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I certainly don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in true Peak Speak fashion, we've been preparing <laughs> in, for this whole week, obviously. Yeah, in uh, epitomizing our approach to... <laughs> podcasting so we're gonna gonna sort of share i guess uh just some reflections over the last uh four years of doing this podcast Uh, i thought a bit of everything you know about stuff i've learned in in the context of of powerlifting and coaching and business but also in life as well and uh yeah i mean like if you were one thing i want to start with is what you were saying before about um about your novice competition and about selling out do you how often if ever do you do you sort of stop and think about the impact that you've made locally um to the powerlifting scene because like of of all the powerlifting gyms in the country uh you stand out to me as um quite uh pivotal in your area in that sense like very few people have such a hold on the local community where um, you know, you put up a comp, it sells out every time and it sells out very quickly and it's always full. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely something that I forget 
occasionally. Uh, in talking to someone the other day, because I have the conversation with a lot of people about like competing in their first powerlifting meet and mm. how they're a bit nervous, and it, it's a conversation that I can almost have with my like not actually thinking hat. I've occasionally observed myself from a third person having this conversation <laughs> with someone because I've done it so much now. Don't you even uh, have like a video that you just, you've so, <laughs> been so sick of explaining it that you made a video and just sent it to people? No, I, so I, I do have a, we have a, um a, like a video series explaining the rules. Oh, okay. uh, so like we talk through how the day is going to run. Uh, I show people how to use a mono, like show them what squat depth looks like, like what a pause bench is, those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that conversation, I, I worked it out the other day that it's something like, so we've hosted since 2014, which is when I started hosting Powerlifting Meets in Canberra uh, at PTC Canberra. Um, we've hosted something like 45 meets. It would have pushed comfortably over 50 this year mm. if this year wasn't this year. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so it, it works out that we'd be something, like, in the vicinity of uh, over a 1,000 people at some point mm. have crossed our platform. Um, and you're right. Like, the the bit that I forget is that powerlifting as it is in Canberra without wanting to toot my horn too much um, wouldn't be what it is without what was ptc canberra and what is now burley strength um Mm -hmm. because we were the only ones doing it for a long time uh we went from canberra having one maybe two powerlifting competitions a year um we've hosted other than this year an average of like six to eight a year sometimes upwards of 10 i think we had our biggest Mm -hmm. year we had 10 comps uh yeah, for the, since 2014. And um, and everyone, or almost everyone who is involved in powerlifting in other gyms in Canberra has come across our platform at one point or another. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, it, it's cool to think about. Uh, I just don't think about it very often because I'm not very good at sitting back and looking at the bigger picture occasionally. Mm. I tend to get a little lost in the weeds. Um, but, yeah, man, it's great. I, uh, I forget to appreciate how much of an impact that's had on the community as a whole, you know, and there's a lot of people that have competed once and have never come back, uh, which is great. As far as I'm concerned, I think that's the best, the best outcome is that you got to compete in something like a novice comp where the, the barrier to entry is really low. Uh, it's the no pressure environment. You come, you do your thing and you decide it's not your thing anymore and you go and do something else, which I think is excellent Mm because it means that you get to be in a position where you don't have to spend six to eight months training for a competition and do all this stuff and put all this pressure on yourself to then do the first comp and decide you actually hate powerlifting and you'll never be back. Uh, so that, that's always been my goal with the novice comps. Uh, I'm, I'm actually far less concerned about people converting into powerlifting as a sport, like joining a federation and doing all those sort of things. I think it's great if that's what you want to do. But for me, it's way more about giving people an opportunity to explore their limits, to, to compete in something, whether it's against other people or against themselves uh, in an environment that supports whatever level you're at you know uh and i think that's that's been the really cool thing about powerlifting for me is that it it does that it it's sort of uh doesn't discriminate based on who you are 
you know, 100 kilos is 100 kilos and heavy as a term is relative. You know, your mm. heavy and my heavy is the same as the heavy that a novice experiences. It's the same feeling. It's a universal emotion sort of thing, right? So mm. that's the thing that I think is really cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, 100% agree. Yeah, it's it's interesting to reflect back on, uh, on the role competitions have played uh as in running competitions in my gyms have played because i i feel like compared to most other powerlifting gyms it's it's been far less of a role for me um yeah and, definitely and that's born of a few things like i've i've run consistently at least four or five comps a year um but it's not a it's not a real passion of mine to run a comp uh i yeah. think i'm not very good at it as in uh, I shouldn't say I'm not very good at it. I don't put enough effort into it. Like yeah. our competitions are exponentially better since I've had James managing the gym. Yeah. Because he's good at promoting it. He's good at responding to people and, and uh, guiding people in. And you yeah. know, uh, not that I didn't respond to people or guide people no, in. No, I just I... never promoted it. Yeah. <laughs> I've never promoted my comps very well. And as such, they never really uh, did that great. I never organized enough helpers and it, it it's just kind of fluked my way through. So now yeah, our competitions yeah. are way, way better than they ever have been. Um, yeah. Yeah. And man, I, th I think that's the thing that a lot of people forget when it comes to powerlifting is like, it's not easy to run a very good meet. Mm. It's easy to run a really shit meet. <laughs> uh, it's easy to take 25 people and have a meet that runs for nine hours. Uh, it looks easy to take 30 people and run a meet in two and a half hours, which is or maybe it was three hours that we did our 34 or 35 people uh, ladies are lifting on the weekend. We were done. The gym was packed up and we were out of here inside three hours or three and a half hours. Mm -hmm. It looks really simple, but the work that goes into, you know, setting up the gym in a way like our, our gym layout is based on hosting competitions. Like that is the the number one consideration when it came to where do we put all the equipment was what's the most efficient way to not have to move monoliths for competitions. For sure, because it uh, sucks. It's the worst. <laughs> Having run the first half of my powerlifting uh, meet director career out of a 200 square meter warehouse um, <laughs> with, with like two monos and four bench presses and a <laughs> spectators area that was separated from the warm-up area by a string of plastic tape um to now be in a space where we don't have to do any of that like we can if we need to we can set up a comp in 45 minutes the morning of mm. uh all our like tvs are wired in we switched our wiring over to hdmi over the weekend that was a fucking huge improvement um what was it before vga really yeah yeah so because we were using a shitty old uh desktop computer to run next lifter okay um but now that we're just using open lifter because it's significantly better mm -hmm. uh and we're running the stream i just use my macbook yes yeah, uh so because it's just got enough power to run the stream and the the uh open lifter software um and so yeah we just ran it as hdmi and it just mm. means it all looks nicer uh the resolution's better so mike can actually read what's on the screen uh and yeah so it, it's all of that sort of stuff that if you've never hosted a meet before you don't recognize is incredibly painful um were you there helping me set up for 2016 uh junior nats uh, I think I did it at points, yeah. You you were definitely at the comp. 
Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but like, speaking of moving monoliths, I was speaking to Will about this the other day because he was helping move move the stuff. We had the warlord, and it was at that Novotel on the on the Gold Coast. Yeah, uh, and the warlord was just the right size to fit into the fire exit that we carried all the stuff up which was about yeah. a thousand flights of stairs that's dude i've um, carried so many fucking monos up and down those stairs and often with a raging hangover yes because it always happens on the monday morning after the, the fucking yes. cop the the warlord has about 10 millimeters of clearance space on all four sides yeah. plus six people carrying it it was the yeah. biggest fucking mission to get it up through like that a door. very steep set of stairs oh, oh it was so bad the worst and then we took it apart to take it out and it was the easiest thing ever yeah yeah 100 that's it's the only way to do it um but yeah i think that like that's definitely a consideration that a lot of people miss and especially if you haven't been around powerlifting for very long you're probably very spoiled like pretty much anywhere in australia now the quality of the like the level of the meat that is the average meat in australia is so So far like so so far superior to what it was when you and i started Mm -hmm. uh that it's easy to not see all the work that goes into that Mm. and you get a real handle of this if you ever go to a comp overseas yeah yeah like and i'm talking about i've been to at least three worlds every year for the last four or five years yeah uh and the the local like novice comp that john would run is often higher quality than a world championship meet in wherever you know man we we have two camera angles on our novice comp live stream like i saw that you've leveled up yeah man like paid meet streams have been shitter than that and it's (laughs) like it's my iphone and the webcam that i use to record podcasts like (laughs) Uh, you know, it, like, and that's the thing that amazes me is like some of this stuff isn't very complex. No. Like I worked out how to use Open Broadcaster in about an hour. I got it set up so that it all looks really nice. There's a mm. few things that I want to tweak as we go through, um, but it's not that complex. The, I think the thing that people miss though is the years of uh effort that goes into cultivating a community that can help you run powerlifting meets because like i've done a lot of work myself but nothing will come close to the amount of man hours and woman hours people hours human Mm. hours i don't know uh that the people that pay me to be members of my gym have volunteered Mm. uh, in order to help us run this i say at every comp it is unequivocally the shittest part about powerlifting loading plates sucks (laughs) like it's anyone who tells you it's fun is just fucking lying uh it's intense like having done it at big dogs and stuff like that it's intense but i don't think fun's the right description Mm. um and yeah the i think that that's the bit that that's the like x factor that is very hard to replicate without spending years on it because mm. you need a group of people who know what they're doing you, you know you need a group of spotters who can anticipate everything that's going to go wrong mm-hmm. especially with the weights that are getting moved in some of our comps you know some of the big equipped guys some like nathan jones is competing at canberra cup in a few weeks uh there's a few guys who'll squat in the mid threes like that's a lot of weight and if you've got a team that doesn't know how to do it well Hmm. then it's a lot harder for sure for sure um so at the risk of just turning this into a powerlifting competition episode (laughs) what, what what do you think in the last three years or three and a half years since we've been doing this this podcast is is like one of the biggest take home things that you've learned just 
in general? Look, I think the whole process of uh, creating this podcast and then committing to doing it regularly has just made me be, I think, more open-minded but also more critical in that I'm significantly more... I'd like to think that I'm significantly more open-minded to a lot of things now that four years ago I would have dismissed very easily. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think because of that, I am probably more in tune with thinking critically about things and therefore being able to actually have decisive opinions about things and a a thought process that is supported in logic and experience and all of those sort of things. Mm -hmm. I think um, that's born of like having you question me, asking you questions, that whole process, us talking about ideas and like expanding on how are we going to frame this conversation, even if it is only a couple of minutes before the start of our recording, you know, I think that process has just made me think a lot more mm-hmm. about what I'm doing, which I think is ultimately the um, the thing that makes you a, a better coach or essentially better at anything, right, it is being self-aware enough to recognize your own bias and question what you believe and those sort of things. So I think that is a fairly nebulous idea, but um, one no, no, that, that's great. Yeah, I, th- I think it uh, sort of epitomizes what I've got out of it. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm just more open-minded, but also more aware. It's, it's interesting, like, looking back, e- even though I, I've listened to pretty much every episode that we've we've ever done. No, aside, see, I do that. <laughs> aside from the last, like, 10, I've been really lazy with listening to them back uh, recently. Yeah. Um, but r- religiously in the past, I would have listened to every episode, like, the week after we released it. Because yeah. what, what I found was happening is that, you know, uh, we would talk about things and because we're on the spot, if, if anything, the, you know, we often joke about the lack of preparation. Um, <laughs> the lack of preparation, you know, that we joke about, I think is fantastic because it makes the conversations organic, real. And yeah. what, what comes with that is that we're forced to say stuff. And when we're forced to say stuff and voice our opinions on the spot without giving a lot of thought and, and you know, what's natural just comes out. And so listening back on that, I can hear myself talk or I can hear you talk and I'd be like, do we actually think that um, do yeah. i actually believe that and then go back and question those biases and and you know reform my opinion based on what i've said and it's yeah. a couple of times i've gone back like when i'm traveling or whatever and just listen to one random episode from a year ago or something like that yeah um and listening to those and being like fuck I, that that was a pivotal moment where i changed my view on something and now i'm mm. sticking sticking to my guns on that because of what i said back then um like, so I like to look at this as our personal conversations that other people get to listen to. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's that's the only way I think about it. Yeah, could, because, like, it's uh, it, it's just a log of thoughts. It's a journal. Yeah, man. It's, a, it's a living journal that's uh, really, really impacted um, my big learning experience over the last three or four years, which is going to sound pretty weird, but it's about identity for me. I've had, like, a massive existential identity crisis Uh, that's only just now starting to sort of be resolved and i think this podcast and what we've discussed and things that have happened that we've been able to then discuss and effectively journal as part of this process whether it's in the podcast itself or in the the stuff that we talk about before and after 
um, has really, really, really started to now set some set a bit of a trajectory for where I'm going and what my identity is. Like I think about, um, you know, when we started, my identity was coach and my goal was coach. And yeah. my goal was like, uh, my goal was coach as many people as possible, have as big as an influence as possible with coaching. Um, and federation stuff, all the federation bullshit that I've been through um, in the last few years or in those early years of doing the podcast has completely switched me off that. Yeah. Like I have no, I have, I love coaching and I'm going to continue to coach and I, I probably will indefinitely. Um, but, you know, being turned off, uh, trying to get into the trenches and trying to get more heavily involved in powerlifting at an organizational level and seeing the absolute bullshit that happens behind the scenes has pushed me away from that. And that's allowed me to be like, you know what? I don't actually have to be completely attached to the sport. Yeah, I can do my role externally, and yeah. uh, as part of that, that's pushed me towards now having these conversations, formulating deeper opinions, learning what I really think about stuff. That's yeah. where the coach development system has come from, and that's really set the trajectory for where I'm heading. Yeah, I, like, and I, I genuinely believe I have this podcast to thank for that. Yeah, man. Uh, and uh, so I was listening to um, Jordan Shallow uh, on RX Radio the other day, just because I am soothed constantly by his the tone of his voice in my ears. Um, and uh, he was talking about the the idea that like uh, that talking is thinking, right? Like you can you can think about something, but when you have to synthesize your thoughts into a a sentence, uh, you know, a monologue essentially that is understandable and relatable to the person that you're talking about. That's where you really start to understand what it is that you're talking about. And I know there's been times where you've asked me a question about something and I've just like rattled off an answer and then been like, wait, I said that way wrong. And this is what I actually think. And it's only in the process of verbalizing those thoughts that you can actually solidify what's going on. Mm. Uh, and look, man, for me, the identity piece as well has definitely changed. Uh, four years ago, I was very much a, a coach, gym owner, and I'm still a coach and a gym owner, um, but I also have a child and you know, uh, a life that doesn't revolve around me training for and competing in competitions anymore, uh, that is still heavily involved in powerlifting and all of those, and will be f- for, again, the foreseeable future, right? But... I think having the ability to have discussions that aren't just here's how to squat, bench, and deadlift, which is like, you know, we would have run out of fucking episodes pretty quickly if all our episodes were about the technical aspects of powerlifting, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think our, the freedom to have a discussion that explores training related ideas in other areas and those sort of things is, is what helps develop that. You know? And I think again, a super powerful tool that I don't think either of us recognized what we were getting ourselves into a hundred episodes ago. And you know, what, what did we hit 120,000 downloads or something the other day? Yeah. So I, I think if, if you told either of us four years ago, sitting in your living room at nine thirty at night, recording 20 minute pieces of a fucking podcast episode that this is where we'd be four years later i think uh both of us would have laughed Mm. i still laugh i still find it funny yeah and like you said before i I still find it weirdly funny that people actually listen (laughs) because it's it's still four years later is just like once a week it's my opportunity to talk shop with you talk a bit of shit and have a nice time Mm. and then i forget about it 
And then people are like, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed that thing you said. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. People listen to that. We release those publicly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is it is a, a weird sensation. I know we've spoken about it before as well. When people come up to you and, and say something like a, that, that guy that came up to you. Yeah, recognize like, my voice. voice. <laughs> yeah, that was so weird. Uh, yeah, like walked in to do a weigh-in. I think it was a GPC Nats. Oh, man, your voice. That's weird. Like, I've been recognized by a lot of things before, but I don't think anyone's ever just exclusively recognized me for my voice. Yeah. Yeah. I had yeah, someone yeah. had uh, someone who's been a member at the gym. Oh, actually, it was fucking Jono from Prism. Um, walked into Bunnings the other day wearing a burly shirt, uh, like, just randomly, and some random dude he'd never met before stopped him in the aisle and was like, oh, hey, cool shirt, man. I've never actually met John, but I heard he's a really good bloke. And then just walked away. And so Jono <laughs> sent me this message. It was like, it turns out you're famous. I'm, I'm like, I'm not sure my brand being recognized in Bunnings is famous, but hey, it's nice to know. No, you got to take it. Oh, yeah. Definitely um, got to take it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know that I'm quite at the point where I feel famous, but, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe one day. So then, you know, if you, we, we both just said, you know, about the process of doing this podcast, helping us. Uh, I guess, find or start to form and, and contribute to identity. Uh, what do you what do you see happening over the next two years? I hate that question in general, but it's, it's something that uh, is a relevant talking point, I guess. Yeah, look, I, I think for me, from a professional standpoint, the next two years is about what part of this year was going to be about before it shit the bed completely. That's why I said two years and not the next yeah, year. Because yeah, yeah, exactly. year one is just resetting. Yeah, yeah, catching up on the shit we were supposed to get done this Getting year. Getting a yeah. fucking door. Yeah, fucking oath, man. That'd be nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I for me, like the thing I want to do next is be in a position to develop coaches more in person than in an online way. Mm-hmm. Uh, to continue to build the gym because it's become evident again that uh, my time is the limiting factor on the gym. And I've been really very careful about hiring people uh, to work for me because I care deeply about the quality of the product that we offer. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not just going to hire anyone. Uh, and so I think I've recognized that the best way to actually be as picky as I want to be about this is to develop a, a system that is very similar to your development program in terms of its scope and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a way that can then be in a position where I can step back from the bulk of the coaching and, and focus on running the gym and the education side and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what the podcast is helping me do, right, is is talking to you about it, understanding my own thought process processes and being able to recognize why I'm making decisions and knowing the, the holes in my arguments and those sort of things that I think are things I've been aware of, but through this process and through like uh, actually sitting down and attempting to do these sort of things is where you really like, it's a, quite a confronting process. I don't know mm. if that's what you went through in that process, but. Oh man, like, because think of, think of what systemization is. It's the art of taking thinking out of it. Coaching mm. is inherently a thinking job. It, like mm. it requires initiative. It requires a good eye. Like how do you turn that into a system where someone can just, anyone can pick it up, take the material, read it, understand it, uh, you know, complete the assessment and just be like, okay, I can do what he does now. 
Um, yeah. Like putting putting coaching into a system is, is fucking tough. You know? Yeah, man. And that I think confronting is probably the most accurate description of how I've found it so far. And it's mm-hmm. confronting because it's admitting that I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And that some of the things that I know or think I know might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there might be better ways to do things. Uh, and that, yeah, is confronting, but in a really, really positive way. Because it has just the process already has helped me solidify my thought processes on a lot of things and also open the door to improving my thoughts in other areas. So that's my sort of goal over the next couple of years is is to develop that in a way that I'm at least satisfied with. I'll probably never be happy with it um, because I'm fucking terrible at uh, recognizing when Mm. something is good enough. Uh, But yeah. It's it's hard with uh, confronting is a, a great word for it with um, you know systemizing uh, stuff requires you to be very firm in your opinions and your beliefs and you're going to yeah. consistently come across things where you're like can I truly you know turn this into an absolute yeah um, and if I am turning it into an absolute I need to be prepared to uh, to deal with the onslaught of conflicting information or conflicting opinions on this particular area one thing that comes up uh very often in in my own coach development system and and with the students that i have coming through it um when it comes to deadlifts i i teach pretty firmly the idea of having a a a rigid torso right so having your upper back set in a particular way uh, basically saying that once you open your coaching up to ranges a little bit of rounding is okay a little bit of knee caves okay you've you've lost you've lost uh the opportunity for consistency right because yeah. like at, at what point is does a little turn into a lot at what mm. point does that you know gray area of acceptability change it, because you if you're talking about knees caving in for example it's like okay well is is you know 40 degrees bad and 39 <laughs> degrees okay like how are you yeah. going to measure this um and the one that comes consistently up for me is is this sort of uh, thoracic rounding or protraction of the scaps during deadlifts. Like if you maintain rigidity through the rest of the system, is that okay? And for me in my system, the answer is no. And, and not okay as in it's, it's bad, uh, but it's not okay in terms of like we're working towards the gold standard being this. It's really hard when you come across a thing where you can, you know in your head you can be like, well, yeah, it's okay. Like it's, you're not, you're not going to die if you do it. And it may not necessarily impact the entire system, but you know, when you're, when you're delivering a system, the system needs to be firm. And it's like, how do yeah. you, how do you rationalize? How do you argue? How do you uh, discuss these weird little gray areas where there are good arguments in both directions? Yeah. And that's the thing that I think I've certainly found the hardest is like turning it into absolute statements and being able to say like, this is definitively what I believe. Mm-hmm. Cause then I'm almost always like, I'll just like put a little asterisk there and be like, except where like, maybe you're not actually a power lifter and you're <laughs> just some 45 year old mum, and I don't actually care that much about it. And all of these other caveats that like, are just decisions that I would make subconsciously in, in my own coaching. Right. Because, mm-hmm. I understand that for me, there's a, a, a difference in the way I would, or the the strictness with which I would approach technical skill 
for a competitive powerlifter versus an everyday person who just wants to be fit and strong and healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for that everyday person, I'm going to lean far more on a like constraints-based emergent movement learning process where I'm just going to give you exercises that make it really hard for you to do the wrong thing and then let you figure it out as you go through, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas with a powerlifter, the goal is optimizing that technical position for maximum output which is a skill unto itself and so you're going to spend a lot more time doing it the teaching principles are basically the same it's just the intensity with which they're applied to the circumstance Mm -hmm. codifying that into a into a a formal system where you can then have like okay here's the line that we consider this to be you're a recreational lifter who just wants to live their life versus you're a competitive power lifter even like, hey, I compete in powerlifting, but for, I, w- I still draw a distinction between uh, what I refer to as a recreational powerlifter, which is actually sort of the majority of our membership base is people that I would consider recreational. They train for powerlifting comps. Maybe they do two a year. They're not necessarily trying to qualify for nationals or anything like that. They just compete because it's something fun to do on the weekend. Mm-hmm. That, for me, is a distinction between that person and the more elite end of I'm pushing towards nationals and, and pro roles and things like that. And it's not that the coaching principles change, but the, the sort of flexibility in the approach is where I have a, a little bit of flexibility, I guess. Um, yeah. But how, like, not in a way that is, uh, I think in any way diminishing the importance of these factors, but just recognizing the context of the situation is what dictates how it comes across, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's being able to codify that that I find really challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, I mean, like it is it is challenging, and it's about packaging it in a way where um, you know the principles provide the guiding light. Um, yeah, and asking questions like. Uh, like, you know, for this person who is the recreational powerlifter, do you want the best result possible? You know, asking that person that question and the answer is probably going to be yes. And then that's going to help, you know, formulate your unwavering decision or the, the non-negotiables on certain things. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, this, this underlying fact of recreation and, and where the importance and where the rigidity needs to be uh, can be more of an afterthought. It's yeah. Uh, but you know exactly that packaging it in a way where you can give that to someone else to make those decisions that you make at at 500 miles an hour because your brain just knows what to do just like from a technical aspect right when you look at someone deadlifting from the side you can look straight away and just be like not too close too far away from the bar fix this Mm. if i you know really really push and keep pushing and keep pushing why 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 eventually you're going to get to a point where it's like fuck i don't know not maybe not you specifically but you know yeah. most most people when you keep going why is that why is that why is that it's just like you know go back to being a toddler and just ask why to every single thing please um, don't i've already got one toddler in yeah. my life <laughs> no, no, no. yeah very interesting yeah it's um if one of my favorite bits about coaching is doing like the the party trick that is like, hey, have you tried like this one thing? And they do that one thing and they're like, oh my God, that was amazing. Like I did it last night with a guy who I've been coaching online, came in to do some bench technique work in person. Like our one hour session was basically finished 15 minutes in because he he warmed up. I said two things. He was like, oh, it feels so much better. 
Like, mm. Yeah, that's the the locksmith analogy that I think I talked about recently where yep. you know, the junior locksmith comes along and takes 45 minutes to do your lock. It's it's the same thing. And that, like, how do you teach that? Because the thing is, I, I wasn't taught that. Mm-hmm. I pursued the knowledge myself independent of any one course you know that that's an accumulation of both time for me as a coach experimenting but also my own uh, intellectual pursuits for sure and then being able to take the the culmination of all of those things because i think you're very similar in that you haven't been through one of these systems so you're developing it based on your own knowledge and the development of your own knowledge as opposed to using like a similar framework to someone else and then being like oh yeah this is what i was taught but this is how i think it could be improved Mm -hmm. which i think is very different from like i have to create how i would teach someone based on what i've learned so far Mm -hmm. um yeah it's not a simple process by any means for sure but it's really enjoyable like i i enjoy asking myself those questions i'm someone who leans on the idea of asking why a lot just because I find it interesting. Mm. Uh, So yeah, it's, it's enjoyable, but it's just, it's a confronting process, but this platform definitely helps Mm. uh, as an outlet for that. Mm. Well, if you need a predetermined system, we can talk about signing up for the zero coach development system. That's a low price of $400,000 per month. (laughs) Good. Excellent. Yes. Plus plus your soul. Let's do that. Um, No, I I don't have to pay to spend time with you once a week, Thomas. That's that's as far as our (laughs) relationship's going. That's right. And if I'm if I'm paying to spend time with you, we're not talking about powerlifting. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, yeah. I don't know if we have anything more to add to that. Well, this is where you say, "What about you, Thomas? Where do you see what do you see happening in the next?" Yeah, no, that's. I'm just thinking about what else I want to see happen in the next two years. I'd like to see the Wallabies beat the All Blacks this weekend, but that's a separate discussion. Uh What about you, Thomas? Where's your development system going? Look, I don't want to talk about it because you didn't come up with the question. Uh, yeah, that, you're a I real mean, salty prick. That hasn't changed in the last four years. No, your identity no. crisis has not removed any of the salt from your identity. Well, I would disagree. I'd say it has changed for the worse. Um, <laughs> Increase the level of salt. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Robert. A sodium positive podcast. Thank you, Robert Wilkes and Sean Muir. What? <laughs> um, <laughs> so. Uh, next couple of years, like I said, um, part of part of the formulation of, of identity is, is really, really heavily going towards this um, educational side of things and, and the coach development program. Um, I did open a, a second gym this year with Daniel Carpenter, who's doing an amazing job of, of running zero. And um, there may or may not be a third zero gym planned right now um, in an undisclosed worst, location. Worst vague booking ever. Yeah, well, it, until it's 100%, it's 0% in my head. Yeah, so, yeah. no, I, uh, I don't know. Nothing's worse than the people that say they're going to do stuff and then never do the thing oh, yeah. know, and keep your hand on it. So if I say I might do something, then, then yeah. It's almost locked in. <laughs> yeah, it's almost locked in. So yeah. um, that's in the works. That'll be part of the, I guess, the two-year plan, which is stupid because I keep saying don't open gyms. <laughs> yeah, I do. I've... I've heard you say that about every gym you've opened since the first one. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, I still- two, I'm done. I'm done at two. I've definitely done it too. And it was like fucking two weeks later. You were like, oh, maybe I'm going to open a third. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I still believe that. Like, this is dumb. Don't do it. What a waste of time. <laughs> 
no, it's actually been really, re- really rewarding and fulfilling. But um, yeah, the, the education stuff is is, is uh, where where my head's at. It's weird though. Like I said before, I hate that question. What what's happening in the next two years? And you're probably very much like me in this regard. And correct me if I'm wrong. But what happens is just what is just what happens. Like yeah, she'll do all the planning in the world, and coronavirus comes and kicks. Yeah, your I was going to say right? if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that you have no fucking control over what happens in the next two years. You can maybe influence a few things, but ultimately you're at the mercy of the universe. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like if. I think I've made a lot of fantastic business decisions by accident, like with no <laughs> skill whatsoever. Yeah, and just sheer luck. Yeah, one of those things has been like diversification, having multiple income streams in in the same category, right? In, in terms of like having a gym, having, you know, one-on-one coaching, having online coaching, having group online coaching, having um, other people coach under you, having... Um, the coach development system I, I think um, you know the setting up of these things just it, it it's made adapting to situations so much easier and I don't mm. like the idea of uh, this is my set in stone plans these are the targets I have to hit I know that lots of people need to operate by that yeah, need yeah. to have direction need to have targets need to work out the processes to those targets um, I'm far more on in the camp of like here's some ideas um, yeah. here's the stuff I need to do that make those ideas happen. Let's start playing around with it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Like ultimately the key driver in both processes, no matter the mindset is going to be the work you do. And if yeah. there's there's one thing I'm pretty good at doing, it's just fucking working. So yeah. um, for me, it's just keep working and see where it goes. Yeah, man. And I think that is why we get along so well um, is because both of us lean a little too heavy on the uh, fly by the seat of our pants on a whimsical idea kind of approach to things. Cause, uh, I know that if I didn't do that, we wouldn't be having this conversation cause mm. I wouldn't own a gym. I said yes to the idea of PTC Canberra without consulting my girlfriend at all. <laughs> uh, and I copped some shit for that and I still cop some shit for it to this day. Good. But it's still the best decision I ever made. And Just I know that down. if man, if I wasn't, and I think like while we say we joke about the idea that like you know we've both made good business decisions by accident and people throw the word luck around I think there's a an element that neither of us are very good at giving ourselves credit for but it's a a willingness to say yes and to be able to do those things that uh, not everyone has Mm. because you can have the greatest plan in the world but when push comes to shove if you don't say yes and actually just dive in head first then um then you'll go nowhere and i think that's that's the thing that we've both been pretty good at is yeah we'll figure it out as we go but we'll just start it and see what happens well it's it's like so i'm i'm trained to be a project planner like a big part of my job uh with the government was project planning it's like essentially project planning with the guise of nutrition underneath it and you know one big part of project planning is like having these milestones having these targets and working out risk and contingency plans like every single uh possible risk that might apply that might arise you need to have a contingency plan laid out because if you don't the government's not going to give you the money to go forward right yeah um for us that contingency plan is literally the passion like when when you opened your gym um was it in your head you you never opened up the gym with the idea of like this gym is going to fail right you just no. you just did it and no, no. if it ever got close to the point of like fuck 
we might have to close the doors. You'd never close the doors because you'd find out all the ways that you need to make it. Like failure is not an option. Yeah, dude, I joke about it all the time. I don't have a backup plan, which is why this gym is going to work. Yeah. Because I have no other fucking skills. (laughs) And at this point, I'm so deeply entrenched in it that uh, if it fails, I don't know what else I'll do. So I'm just going to not let it fail. Hmm. You've got child mining skills. Like you might, you mind yeah, the no, children like and now that you mind really big children. Yeah. Really, really big, more emotional children. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Look, that's definitely where I'd end up, but uh, I don't really want to do that. No, and <laughs> I, you won't. I you'll like you'll never have to. No, exactly. Uh, uh, and it, it's, it, it, yeah, it's purely because of that, that idea of passion. You just have to make yeah. it work. This, the, I, I look at powerlifting the same way. I ask, I ask all the coaches, all the lifters that I work with when it comes to selecting attempts, are you going to competition to fail your third attempt? Fuck no. Why would I plan on failing? That's, that's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. And I look at business the same way. It's like, am I doing this so I can fail? No. Okay. No. Well, then it's going to work. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you can't just bank on a woman to pray. You're going to fucking make it work by working towards it yeah. and working your ass off. Um, and that's so and the, rewarding. And it's also like not like not minimizing the fucking terrifying nature of it. Oh, fuck yeah. Like, that, that's the thing that I think um, I forget to account for because it's just part of my life is like this underlying level of anxiety that is owning my own business and like no one tells me what to do i have to figure all this shit out myself there's no real road map for like what we do in terms of how to make it successful across a variety of areas um and that in itself is fucking terrifying (laughs) uh and i'd like to thank lifting weights for having taught me how to deal with fear a little bit yep uh, because I know that it, like that's where you know having got into lifting weights when I did and gotten uh, okay at it uh, and done some things that were truly fucking terrifying uh, I now recognize that, that that feeling of like a lump in my throat and butterflies in my stomach is actually probably a really good thing for me because it means I'm right on the edge of what I'm comfortable doing mm. and the only way to continue to grow and to continue to improve all of this thing is to be right on the edge of what you're comfortable doing. Because if you're mm. not, then you're just stagnant and it's not going anywhere. For sure. For sure. Uh, so, yeah, thanks, Big Squats, for teaching me how to not be terrified or how to be terrified and do things anyway. Yes. And thanks, lifters and listeners. It was yes. what I was supposed to say, not lifters. Thanks, <laughs> listeners, for... Uh, for I think sta- it's a safe assumption that all our listeners are lifters. Yeah, so. that's a good point. Uh, thank you, Lifter listeners, for staying with us for 100 episodes. We really appreciate it. We love yes. you Yes. Here's to 100 more. Hopefully, it won't be four more years. Surely, <laughs> we'll get out and... Surely, we'll get from 100 to 200 much quicker than we will go from one to 100. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. All right. I've had enough. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye.